And so, let's seek the Lord Jesus Christ now in his word. 2 Samuel 14 and 15. We'll begin to read at verse 25 of 2 Samuel 14. If you go to your pew Bibles, page 313. Page 313. Congregation, that's where our reading begins. And our text is chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Chapter 15, 1 through 13. A second sermon on how Absalom stole the hearts of God's people. And a reminder to let nobody take your heart other than Jesus. That's really, let's hear that. Let nobody take your heart other than Jesus. Your heart's safe only with him. Your life is safe only with him. Now in all Israel, verse 25, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head, 200 shekels by the king's weight. There was born, there were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. And he sent a second time, but Joab would not come. Then he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at the house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask, why have I come from Jeshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me go into the presence of the king. And if there's guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So Absalom came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. Now our text after this. Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. If you wondered if he had a problem before, you don't have to wonder anymore. Got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. And thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Jeshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. 
with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests. And they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong. And the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. This is God's word. May he bless us and build us by it. Imagine, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, if while Queen Elizabeth was still living, Prince Andrew, or somebody not appointed in the house of Windsor, would suddenly start a campaign to become the new king and replace her. That would be a rebellion. That would be a revolt. And imagine if Great Britain followed Prince Andrew. Now instead we have a rightful transition of the monarchy. The queen dies and the appointed son takes her place. But it's the first scenario that's taking place here in Israel. Absalom, as we saw last week, is a thief and a robber who stole the people's hearts. He's a self-serving, self-lover. And he wants to steal the kingdom, not so much from David, but from David's son, Jesus Christ. And that's the real crime. That's the real crime here. Jesus said, anybody who enters the sheepfold by another way, John 10, is a thief and a robber, but the one who enters by the gate, he's the shepherd of the sheep. Absalom is trying to come in to the sheepfold by another way. He's a thief and a robber. He's not to be followed. And if Jesus said, all scriptures testify to me, he's used the word plural, meaning every passage, including this one. And this one points to him by way of contrast. We have beauty and the beast. The beast is Absalom, and by way of contrast, pointing us to go the other way to the true, beautiful Savior and shepherd, Jesus Christ. So let's hear that call to come to Jesus strong and kind and to shut out, not to listen to, not to follow any false shepherd who would say, I have life for you. I have power for you. I, have, I will fulfill all your dreams. Only Jesus is the man of our dreams. Only Jesus. We meet here first the celebrity and then the conspiracy. Those two parts. Verses 1 through 6, the celebrity. 7 through 13, the conspiracy. Remember, Absalom's coming is told in three sections. We already saw the first section, his return. He's in exile because he murdered his brother Amnon for the rape of his sister Tamar. His cause is just, but the way he handles it is murderous and unjust and anti-Christ. When you fight the throne of David, it's really the throne of Jesus. You're fighting Jesus. He's the anti-Christ here. The spirit of the anti-Christ lives in him. First is a return. 
And then his rising star in Israel. That's the section. And then his revolt in the next. Really, there's a fourth part, his ruin. Because all those who follow him, together with Absalom, will come to ruin. Remember, he's the prodigal son who has returned to the kingdom, the father's house, without repenting. That's the wrong way in, right? And he has an agenda, not just to get back into Israel, but to get into the king's house that happened also in chapter 14, and then to get into the people's hearts, chapter 15, and then to get onto the throne. That's his ambition. And what audacity. And what arrogance. When you see how he becomes a celebrity of Israel in four steps. First, he puts himself on display. His display. Can you imagine? He arranges a carriage for himself. Drawn by horses. And 50 men to run in front of him through the streets of Jerusalem and through Israel. Here's Absalom. Look at Absalom. What a guy. This guy really believes in himself, doesn't he? He's here to primp his image. To establish his brand. That's that's what this is all about. He's riding through the countryside in a carriage, parading himself before the people as the crown prince. Notice, he's not taking the Messiah road. Which is putting yourself aside and giving up your life for your people. That's the Jesus road. That's the kind of shepherd we need. Second, he works hard to create dissent. He first puts himself on display. Then he works hard to create dissent and dissatisfaction. With God's chosen king. People would come with their disputes from all over Israel to the gate, the courtroom of Jerusalem, the city gates. That's where court was held. And they would wait for the king to come out and give judgment. But Absalom stood, oh, maybe a kilometer away from the gate. We don't know where. And as people would come to bring their dispute, he would stop them. Oh, what's up with your life? What's up with you? And they would share, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the, and they would share his dispute. And he would say, oh, oh, I feel so sorry for you. And he would, he would play the, the compassionate man. Oh, if only there was a judge who did his job. Oh, the courts are so backlogged. Oh, our king is really unfit for the job, isn't he? And so he fomented dissent in the land. And the book of Proverbs says, one man seems right when you hear him until you hear the other side. Absalom's not interested in justice at all. He doesn't look at the other side. He just agrees with the plaintiff right away. I I take your side. You're not getting justice. And what he's doing is pandering to complainers. And that's how false shepherds take their place illicitly. He's pandering to complainers. But he's not honoring and serving the Lord Jesus Christ to bring about true justice in the land at all. So he 
creates descent. And then thirdly, we have displacement. First we have display and then descent and then displacement. As he talks to people, he's actually looking for them to replace their love for David with love for Absalom. And we read that in verse 5, whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. He had finesse and flair, writes one author, and knew how to work a crowd. And then the last part is easy, defection. Verse 6, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. This is such a sad passage. They gave their hearts to the Antichrist. They were deceived by the outward charm and charisma of Israel's celebrity shepherd. And so ready to follow a fake. And that's not just an old problem. That's a problem that has continued throughout church history. God's people are so ready to be duped and to follow a fake. The Bible so often warns us against deceivers. I know there's some warrant for Israel's dissatisfaction with David. Even though in general, chapter 8 has told us that he administered justice and equity to all the people. That's generally true for his whole reign. The Bible emphasizes his omissions and his weaknesses. So that we're trained to look for somebody better. But then the people grab onto the weaknesses of David to throw him away. And Absalom is only too happy to say, I should be the guy. People run into the arms of a charismatic celebrity who's not a true follower of Christ, partly because of his appeal and always partly because of their dissatisfaction with Christ's leaders, right? It's real. Now, congregation, there's two important lessons for us when we see Absalom's rise as a celebrity in Israel. First... That leaders, even when they are celebrated, must not follow the celebrity model of bringing people to themselves rather than to Christ. Must not follow the celebrity model of exalting themselves rather than preaching Christ and Him crucified, which is the true power of the kingdom of God. When Paul rebukes the Galatians for following after deceivers, after false teachers, he says, who has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So when we came, we had one simple job in our preaching to portray Christ publicly as crucified. To hold him before you. And that's what it is to be of Christ. That's my task, always to be sure that I'm not preaching myself and placing myself before you and having you follow me. Hope you fully know me well enough now that you never want to do that anyway. But that we focus on Christ together. 
as the real beautiful one. The one we need. The only true husband who can fill your life. The second lesson is that as people, we must put on our discernment caps. Emotions are good as long as they serve the truth. Don't listen to the voice of a false shepherd. Now, Repkin in his book, The Insanity of God, chronicles some of the persecution that took place in the Protestant churches of the Soviet Union in the 1950s. Do you know what happened when pastors were faithful to Christ? Stalin would sweep in, arrest the pastor, put him in prison, and then impose on those congregations, faithful congregations, party faithful, members of the Communist Party to be their leaders, their preachers. And you know what many of those congregations did? As the minister was going up to the pulpit, the false shepherd, they would link arms across the building to blockade him. But if he would persist, they would let him through. He'd go to the pulpit. They'd sing their songs. Their songs were good. But when he started preaching, they'd all turn their back. And they, for the entirety of the sermon, they wouldn't look at him. That's how we've got to handle that kind of stuff. I think of the great sadness of what happened in so many Canadian churches and denominations in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, when liberalism, liberal theology, took over the seminaries, and they spit out pastors who were not believers, who did not believe the deity of Jesus Christ, did not believe the virgin birth, did not believe that his death was an atonement for sin, did not believe his resurrection, did not believe the infallibility of Scripture, did not believe the miracles of the Bible. And people just became fascinated with their human wisdom, their smartness. These are new things. And they were just awestruck by human wisdom. And led these celebrities, led them graciously, not graciously, seductively to hell because they're false shepherds do not have the voice of Christ the voice of truth in them Jesus is calling us here to have an eye only for Jesus and an ear only for his voice and whoever leads you make sure that you're looking for Jesus that you're not getting distracted by looks or style, sound of voice or whatever it might be. Those are all things, right? But when we get fleshly, those can capture us or repel us and that's not the issue. Secondly, we have the conspiracy. The conspiracy. Of course, that's what this whole celebrity business was for in Absalom's world. The whole hair thing and chariot carriage thing. 
be interesting to do a study on the philosophy of hair. Actually, books, believe it or not, are written on hair. And what they tell, tell us about ourselves and others and where we look for power and, and strength. Anyway, the whole thing here is leading us to a conspiracy against the king. And that's what it says here in the second part. The conspiracy against David grew. That was Absalom's agenda, remember, from the start. He wasn't satisfied with mere justice. Maybe if he had taken justice into his own hands and killed Amnon, there may have been some sort of reprieve for him. But he's, that's not what he's after. He's after the throne. He's after taking the glory away from Christ and putting it on himself, taking the kingdom away from God and bringing it to himself. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what he's after. He wants to take the kingdom with his own hands. We're not talking about David's throne, remember? We're talking about Jesus' throne. It's his throne here that God has planted. And put a type on it, a representative, a prophecy of the Jesus who's, who's coming, who's coming. And David has been put there to represent Jesus and to prepare us for Jesus' coming, even in David's shortcomings. God is preparing us through David for Jesus' coming. So when Absalom chooses to go to war against David and against the throne, he's choosing to go to war against Jesus. This is no small matter. And this plot against David is an evil one. Now, I know this is all in God's hand. We learned in chapter 12, this is going to happen to David. God has planned it. It's part of the consequences of David's sin. And God's going to work this all for advancing the kingdom of Christ. But woe to the one who opposes the Christ to bring this about. It's like we know God planned Judas for the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And God's going to turn this all around and work that for, for the glory of Christ. But woe to the one who betrays the Christ. Woe to Judas. Well, it all happens under the fake facade of pre- pretended piety. If you look at verses 7, 8, and 9, this whole conspiracy. Fake facade of pretended piety. Dead! When I was in exile in Jeshur, I made a vow that if God would take me back to Jerusalem, I will worship him in Hebron. I will pay my vow. It's the only time the name of God is ever on Absalom's lips. Only time in the Bible. And it's used to blaspheme the name of God, take his name in vain for trickery, for deceit. Well, what father's heart would not be delighted when his son says, I want to take a group of guys and go on a worship retreat. Go in peace. Oh, David, can't you see something's building here? Go in peace. What fakery 
war against Jesus in the name of religion. I'm going to worship God. I can't think, help but think of the Russian Orthodox Bishop Kirill. Remember in his Easter message, he's famous for supporting Putin in the war effort against Ukraine and standing by his side. And his Easter message, Jesus said, no greater love has this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And he's saying, that's what Russia's doing in the spirit of Jesus, laying down its life for the Ukrainians to bring the Ukrainians back to the fold of Russia. What blasphemy. In the name of religion, to war against the Christ, to do what's evil. And yet, it is so common to use religion as a guise for fighting Jesus. I'm dating this non-Christian because I want to be a witness. Well, that sounds pious. It's wrong. Or I go to this party and I drink and I get drunk. Oh, but I talk about Jesus when I'm there. Pretended piety is Absalom's fake facade in this conspiracy. I'm going to worship. And then the second part of the conspiracy is the secret summit in Hebron. It's really a leadership convention of one man, Absalom. And again, the arrogance of this. He's totally arranging his own coronation. It all comes from himself. He arranges the meeting. He sends out men to every tribe to say, when the trumpet blows... You're to announce in every tribe, Absalom is king in Hebron. And he brings 200 men to the party with him. They don't know what's going to happen. But he's going to spring on them. He's the new king. And they're going to, he's going to have them be his cheerleaders there. Jesus didn't take the throne himself. And he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He waited until God the Father sent him in the fullness of time. And then he didn't go to the cross until his hour had come, the hour the Father appointed for him. And he left it to God the Father to exalt him to the throne. And that's how we know when a leader is of Christ, when he does not push himself, impose himself, but he waits for God to call him through the church. And for the right reason, for Christ's sake, for the ministry of the gospel. But this is how false religion and religious movements often sweep across the land. Like Absalom they throw a few God words and Bible verses in their, in their message, their false messaging. And people say, oh, this must be of God. He even talks about God. And he's so kind. Oh, he's so nice. And he cares. Oh, and there's so many people following him. And we get duped by that. Brothers and sisters. 
This is spiritual abuse of the worst kind. Stealing people's hearts through false messaging, false imaging, to lead them down the garden path that leads to destruction, to hell. Absalom's kingdom, false kingdom, is going into flames and he's going to take a lot of people down with him. All who listen to the voice of the false shepherd. And that's why Jesus told us in no uncertain terms, beware of false prophets. Why do you have to beware? Because they're not always obvious. He says, they come to you as raffinous wolves in sheep's clothing. They're dressed like sheep, like one of Jesus' sheep. They're just one of us. But they're wolves who are out to eat us. Beware of going after false husbands. Alcohol, drugs, popularity, affection, approval of people, work. That can become a false husband. Look for my meaning in work, in business, in wealth, in having fun, in possessions, in the health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel. That's like falling in love with fentanyl. What's it going to do? It's going to destroy you. And the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing and it was told David, the hearts of the people have gone after Absalom. Congregation, may our hearts be held captive by Jesus. Don't give your heart to anybody else but the Lord Jesus Christ. Absalom's the beast. Jesus is the beauty. We're going to sing that in a moment from Psalm 45, which describes Jesus this way. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. And then Zechariah 9, which talks about Jesus coming in to Jerusalem, riding on the foal of a donkey, says this. Zechariah 9 says this about Jesus. How great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. And his greatest beauty, that he comes to make you his beautiful bride. You want your life to be beautified. You want the man of your dreams to come in and fill you. It's Jesus Christ who did not come to destroy you for his benefit, but to be destroyed in your sin, in your place, for your benefit. That's what we celebrate at the table. That's what we celebrate every day in the gospel. He's the king, Jesus, strong and kind, who loves us so much he gave his life so that we might be built up and we might be blessed forever by this beautiful Savior. See him there dying on the cross in utter devastation to make you beautiful forever. Don't go after the false shepherd who destroys 
the thing that wants to steal your heart and pull you away from Christ and his bride. Don't follow that. It'll kill you. Give your heart again to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm tempted by so many false lovers right now. They look so real and they feel so good to me. How can it be wrong when it looks and feels so right? I'm tempted by that, Lord. Give me instead a delight with your ravishing beauty, Jesus. And an understanding that only in you is my life truly elevated and blessed. Only in you do I really come to God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the true shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. You've given him to us, the beautiful Savior, and had him destroyed so that we who are under destruction for our sin can be rescued, saved, and brought to beauty. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And life dressed in all the graces of the Holy Spirit. Thank you also for this warning against false husbands, false lovers who are in it for themselves. Who are in it to take our lives away. Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom and discernment. Give us an eye only for Jesus and an ear only for his voice. In Jesus we pray, amen.